Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12, commencing at verse 9 and reading through to verse 18. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it is possible. It's not always easy, is it? And because of that, just allow me to pray, because I'm just very conscious that when we come to talk about conflict, about peace, it's a very raw topic for, for many people. So, Father, we do just invite you to speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit this morning as we think about and reflect upon what it means to actually live out the one another's for the purpose of finding peace. Lord, I pray that what is spoken into our lives would be an encouragement and if there is a challenge or a rebuke that you wish to speak that it would be just through that gentleness that your Holy Spirit does that with. So Father, give us the ability to listen this morning not just to words but to listen to what you speak into our hearts as well. The convictions that you may bring to us the challenges that may be there for us. Because Father, our desire is as always that we be a people not just of words that are people who live out what it means to live in the kingdom of God, not just in the future, but now. And may all this be for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When we started this series, uh, Cathy talked about, just from a cultural perspective, we live in a very me, 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 mine culture. That's part of what we live in. Our culture says that the focus should be on me as an individual, what's best for me, and that should be the driving force for the decisions that I make in life and what I do. The downside with that culture that we live in is that increasingly we have a very self-centred um, to the point of being a narcissistic culture, but we also find ourselves in a culture that is incredibly lonely. Just that question of loneliness is one that increasingly people answer in the, yeah, I feel incredibly lonely. I have four and a half thousand Facebook friends but I feel incredibly lonely. But it's also a culture that is increasingly conflicted. And we see that in interpersonal relationships as well as online relationships. There is just a nastiness, an argumentativeness. Is that a word? I think it is. It is now. In our culture, what we experience. But again, as Kathy called us to two weeks ago, the way of Jesus calls us to live a different story, but it's a better story. 
We don't just go along with the culture. There is a better story that is written for us, and we are called as the people of God to live that better story. And it's a story where the me becomes us. It's a story where we realise that individuals actually find joy in being part of community. The me doesn't disappear. It's not like we all just meld into this amorphous thing called the church. Jesus always saw the one. You understand that? As, as Jesus went through life, he always saw the one. So you don't cease to become an individual. But the emphasis is not on me. The emphasis is on one another. And so uh, there's a mutuality that comes with the one another. There's no expectation that you will submit to me. And there's no expectation that I will submit to you. What is the expectation? that we would submit to one another. There's not an expectation that somebody else will show hospitality to you or that you need to show hospitality to someone else. What's the expectation? That we show hospitality to one another. There's no expectation that my love is for you and, again, it's mutual, that, or that I should forgive or you should be forgiven. It's mutual. There's a mutuality in the one another. It's not that one person receives and one person gives. It's that we both give into each other. And in doing so, the one anothering creates this new community. And not only do we create a new community, not only do we write a better story, but we actually in the process declare the very nature of God. A God who loves, a God who serves, a God who forgives, a God who shows mercy, a God who welcomes us into his family. And in the process, we declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see this when it comes to peace. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of peace, but it's a peace very different from the context, the world to which Jesus came. The Roman historians at the time of Jesus and for centuries afterwards wrote very proudly of what they called the Peace of Rome. You may have seen, written or heard of Pax Romana. Have you heard of that? It began 31 years before the birth of Jesus Christ under Caesar Augustus. And the peace lasted for well over 200 years. And how did they achieve it? Sheer brutality. The peace of Rome was achieved by, by simply the brutality of the Roman Empire that basically belted any kind of resistance and opposition out of anyone. That is not the peace that Jesus came to bring. When Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, it is a very different kind of peace, a very different understanding of peace. And so we need to understand that when we talk, as peace, talk about peace, it is not about an absence of war, it is not an absence of conflict. The Greek word for peace is actually the word Irene. Isn't that a beautiful name to give someone? Irene, it means peace. And this word, this Greek word Irene, carries with it a sense of relationship with God, of salvation. And it also carries with it a sense of relationship with others. And part of the, the putting together of this Greek word Irene is it actually links with mutual submission and respect. And so when we read this word peace in the New Testament, do not think Pax Romana, sheer brutality, beat the living daylights out of anyone who opposes you and therefore you get peace. It's a very different understanding of peace. It is a relational word carrying with it aspects of salvation, mutual submission and respect. It is not simply the absence of conflict. I do marriage prep with hundreds of people over my life and one of the questions I would always ask is tell me about your parents' relationship, what did they model to you? And, you know, you get the whole range of answers, but occasionally you get somebody to say, oh, my parents never fought. 
And that's always a red flag for me. <laughs> and the assumption, therefore, is they didn't know how to. Or they probably were in conflict but didn't know how to actually resolve conflict. You see, peace is not an absence of conflict. It is something so much deeper. And it is something inherently relational. And we see this in the passage that Marge read to us from Romans 12. Uh, and when Paul gets to peace, when he actually talks about peace, did you see that everything that comes before it? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep a spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. These are all relational expressions. He's getting to peace. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Just the, the contrast with the Roman Empire, again, as Paul writes this, is profound when he talks about peace. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then, this little wrap-up, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at Irene. Live at peace with everyone. He picks this thought up also in Colossians, uh, in chapter 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Lord commands us to forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You understand now the word peace. Let the Irene of Christ rule in your hearts. This relational, connected, this relationship with God, relationship with one another, sense of peace. Let that rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you are called to that kind of peace. And be thankful. You see, we are called to pursue peace. We are called to live in peace. And when we do so, we declare what God is like. And when we live in this kind of peace, we declare what he has done in Jesus Christ. There's a passage which we spoke about earlier this year in Ephesians 2. I think it was this year. Maybe it was last year. When did we do Ephesians? Was it last year? Surely not. Anyway, I'm losing my years. I'm getting old. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in heaven, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, buts are good in the Bible, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Christ himself is our peace. He is our relationship with God. He is at the heart of our relationship with one another. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles, one. He has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. We are called to pursue 
peace. We are called to live in peace. And by doing so, we declare what God is like. And by doing so, we declare what God has done in Jesus Christ. And in his sermon on the mount, when Jesus preaches his sermon, which turned everything upside down that people thought was the way life was and what the kingdom of of God was like, Jesus says these words. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I just want to finish this morning. Don't get excited. I've still got a way to go. But I want to, I want to do the second two-thirds of my sermon. Joking. Answering a question, how do we become peacemakers? What does it mean to live as peacemakers? You understand that there is a whole industry based around conflict. They're called lawyers. Um, there is a whole industry based around conflict. They're called counsellors, mediators, arbiters, whatever. There is a whole industry around this topic of actually bringing peace or how resolving conflict. But I just want to do seven things because seven's biblical. Seven ways we can live as peacemakers. There are more, I understand that. But these are the seven. I want to run through them reasonably quickly. First is this, accept that conflict is part of life. We need to accept that conflict is actually a normal part of life. Hopefully not every day, but it is a part of life. Uh, Sometimes conflict is the result of selfishness or uh, pride or immaturity. That's absolutely true. But sometimes conflict just results from growing pains. You understand that as your children grow up. They change and you change at a slower rate than they do. They are no longer children. They become young adults. And you as a parent resist that with every fibre of your being. You don't really, but sometimes it feels like you do to them. And so there's conflict. As they change, you need to adjust to the changes that are going on. And conflict is a normal part of that process. It's it's part of life. In Acts chapter 6... Uh, we see conflict in the church, and it was because the church was growing. You know, like Peter preaches a sermon, 5,000 people come to faith. Now, most of those, if not all of those, would have been Jewish people. But you go from a church of 30, where everybody knows each other, to a church of, let's say, 5,030, where hardly anybody knows. It, it created conflict. And suddenly, you know, with 30 people, you know, the 12 apostles, they could go around and visit everybody, have a cup of tea, and it's like, oh, I got a visit from Peter today, it was lovely, we talked about my grandkids and whatever else. That's fine. Everyone's happy. 5,000 people. All of a sudden, the pastor doesn't come visiting anymore. Peter hasn't visited me for two weeks. You know, like there's, there's a sense of conflict because people are feeling left out. And we actually read that. We, feel, uh, we actually read that there were portions of that church that felt like they were being left out that there was a group where they felt like their widows weren't getting the attention that they needed. Conflict is part of of just change. And the church dealt with it well, and the church continued to grow. Where else do we see conflict? We see conflict uh, when what was a Jewish church all of a sudden realised that there were these Gentiles who had become Christians. And there's like a sense of, no, like you can only become a, a Christian out of a a Jewish background. We can't allow Gentiles to become Christians unless they go through the full process, you know, the snip, the eating, the everything else that has to go on for you to become uh, a proper Jew. And so there was conflict within the church to the extent that there were people travelling from Jerusalem to the Gentile churches to tell them what they needed to do. You know, you guys are wrong. What Paul's telling you is wrong. You need to become a Jew before you can become... And so a council is called. There is conflict within the church. Again, it's resolved, and the church continues to grow. Two of the most prominent, beautiful people... You know, we get a beautiful picture of Barnabas, but you know that Barnabas and Paul had a fight that was so great that they actually went separate? This is like a major breakup in the Christian church. It's hard to actually describe in a contemporary setting what that would look like. 
It really is. It was a massive, in a sense, church split. These two incredible missionaries who had, had such an impact on the gospel have a disagreement that was so sharp that they actually went their separate ways. That probably wasn't handled so well. Uh, my point is, to be peacemakers, we just need to accept that conflict is part of life. And being a peacemaker is not trying to avoid conflict at all costs, but actually responding to conflict in a positive, healthy way. And seeing conflict, as the early church did, as an opportunity to deepen relationships and to glorify God. Because when we actually go through a period of conflict, when we resolve that conflict, we don't come out the other end at the same point. We actually come out the other end with a greater depth. We have journeyed through something and we come out of it stronger in our relationships. Being a peacemaker is responding to conflict positively and seeing those opportunities to deepen relationships, to glorify God. And how do we do that? Through the one another's through loving one another, forgiving one another, showing hospitality to one another, accepting one another, listening to one another. First point, accept that conflict is part of life. The second point is this, uh, avoid the two actions that will not resolve conflict. And those two, uh, and again, this is really simple, uh, most people will tend one way uh, or the other when it comes to conflict. You know what they are? Fight or flight. So for some of us, and we need to be aware of what our default is. I default to fight. That's part of who I am. I'm argumentative at times, maybe a little. Uh, whatever. We're, we're probably, yeah, we're robust. We're fine. So we're probably both in the fight. Like we, we need to understand which way, when conflict comes, what do I do? Do I just shut down? Because a lot of people go into the flight mode. You, you either physically will exit. We try and do a bit of an exit interview about why people leave churches. And I just remember, this was many years ago, we had a, an exodus of quite a few people. And most of them were actually in relation. They, it was about a relational conflict that they no longer... It's easy here, right? You get into conflict with someone in the church, you just go next door. Go to another church. Plenty of churches, plenty of good churches around here. I don't like someone. I don't want to resolve that. I'm just going to go to a different church. But we need to understand what we are. What do we tend towards, fight or flight? Because whichever one it is, neither of those two things will actually resolve conflict. If you want to get into a fight with someone, that doesn't resolve conflict. If you want to argue back and, no, you're wrong and I'm right and you don't know anything, seriously, where did you, you know, whatever. Your parents did a massive job on you, didn't they? You know, like, whatever. If you want to have a fight with someone, that's not going to resolve conflict. But in the same way... In the, in the same way, if, if you're actually just going to walk out of the room or if you're just going to shut down and go, yep, whatever... No, I don't care. But inside, like, you are. You know, like, it's, that's not going to be helpful either. Know which one of you are, and you, uh, which one of those you tend to, but don't go there. Don't fight, don't flight, uh, because they won't resolve conflict. We do tend toward one or the other, but either way, God is not glorified. God is not glorified with either fighting or flighting. That's not a word. It is now. Third one is this, and this is good advice from somebody we know hopefully very well. Get the log out of your own eye, okay? Uh, it is a really important thing. You understand that it is so easy to see the fault of other people. You know, seriously. You can pick a speck in someone's eye from a kilometre away. 
And it's like, man, there is so much wrong with that person. I can see it. I'm amazed they don't see how much there is wrong with themselves. Like, seriously, how do they go with life? And be completely blind to ourselves. We may be aware of something. Oh, that's nothing. That's just a little like, cute thing that I do. It's like, well, it may be cute to you, but it is not cute to anybody else. Ah, oh, people know me and whatever. The thing I love, you know, some people... You know, so I, I, I just, I just, I just say it the way it is. You heard that when people say that. I just say it the way it is, as if like that's an excuse for rudeness. It's not. You know, it's it's just a weird thing. Like you're just sprouting your opinion. You're not saying what is. You're actually just sprouting your own opinions. It's almost like, well, I just say it like it is, as if like, well, that's truth. I'm just saying the truth. No, it's not. You're just sprouting opinions. We are so blind to our own faults, right? Including myself. Like, you know, you, know you, you probably have a better idea of all the things that are wrong with me than I do. And that's fine. Don't, you don't need to tell me. That's, <laughs> tell Kathy. <laughs> that's fine. When Jesus says, look, get the log out of your own eye, it is such an important thing to do. Before you go and pick a fight with someone because of what they've done to you, have a look at yourself. I had this conversation with someone uh, just, just yesterday and they were quite offended by something that someone didn't do for them and I have enough relationship with them to say, are you the kind of person who does that for others though? Because they're not. Say, so, oh yeah, I've done that. I can walk away and come back to that one another day with them. It's fine. It's family, right? But I guess the point is it's so easy to take offence at others. It's so easy to excuse ourselves We need to get the log out of our own eyes. Know your own stuff. Know what you bring to the conflict. Point four. Take responsibility for yourself. I think this is the definition of an adult. I really do. When do you become an adult? It's not 18. It's not 21. It's actually when you learn to take responsibility for yourself and for your own actions. And under that definition, there are a lot of people who should not be drinking probably at the age of whatever. (laughs) Take responsibility for yourself. Don't blame others. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, they make me so angry? No, you're angry. Take responsibility for your own anger. Or, ah, if it wasn't for them, I'd... No, take responsibility for your own actions, for your own attitudes. Don't blame others and don't hide behind others. Take responsibility for not only what you do, but also what you feel. Uh, There are some response cards that go straight into the bin in the life of this church, and they generally fall into one of two categories. One is which doesn't have a name to it. I just can't respond to that. If somebody says, you know, I don't like this, and leaves it blank, what the heck's that? I don't don't particularly care. (laughs) Because you obviously don't care enough to have a conversation. Take responsibility for your feelings and your thoughts. The other ones, and maybe you've done this to me, I'm not picking on you, but just understand it's not healthy. When you come and talk to somebody else, but it's not just about us, because you'll probably do it in a whole lot of contexts. If you're a school teacher, this happens to you all the time as well. Somebody come up to you, I'll talk to a school teacher, they come up and they say, Nicole, I'm, I'm not happy about something that's happening in your classroom. And it's not just me, I know there's a whole lot of other parents who feel exactly the same way. It's not good, is it? Any other teachers ever heard that? (laughs) All the time. Any other people in any other context at work when you're in authority ever heard someone say that? You know, don't try and create an army. Take responsibility for yourself. You don't have to take responsibility for what other people feel. If they were adults, 
they would take responsibility for themselves. Take responsibility for yourself, for your actions and your feelings. All right, point number five. And all of these things just, just allow conflict to be resolved. But we're so, like, you understand these things are very scary for us to do. Resolving conflict is it's much easier to hide behind other people. It's much easier to blame people. It is much harder to take responsibility for yourself. That's why I say it's the definition of an adult. Point five, know what to let go of and know what needs to be resolved. I guess what I'm saying is get some perspective. Seriously. I'm really offended because when I walked in today, Iris May, who says hello to everyone, didn't say hello to me. I'm, I'm over... I, I, don't ever talk to me again, you know. Um, or when I walked in today, I, you know, I saw Simon. He was over there and I said, hi, Simon. He ignored me. Never again will I ever talk to this man again. Like, seriously, we get... What was the last thing you got ticked off about? And how serious was it? You know, we... I love these two people, by the way. Don't worry. You know, we need to get some perspective. The Bible talks about don't take offence easily. And I think we need to do that. We need to be able to overlook. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. Don't get ticked off so easily. It is incredible the things that we hear, what annoys people. You kind of go, seriously? If that's the biggest thing in your life at the moment, you really do need to get out more. <laughs> get some perspective. Choose to overlook. Sixth point, listen. Really, it's important to listen. You understand that when you're angry, you actually can't hear? That's actually a physical thing that goes on. When you are angry, you cannot hear. You cannot listen to another person. So much is going on in your chest and in your head. You cannot listen. We need to learn to listen. You cannot resolve conflict if you don't hear the other person. James, the book of James, not James here. The book of James has a lot to say about listening. It really does. Listening is so important because in a peacemaking, being a peacemaker, you may listen and actually find that you learn something. I know that's hard to imagine that for any of us that we have anything to learn in life, right? But when we listen, we learn. And when we listen, we learn the perspective of somebody else. And, and maybe they're not as wrong as we think they are. Maybe there is an element of truth, obviously not as much truth as we have, but maybe there's this element of truth that they have in what they're saying. And the final thing is this. Treat others the same way that you want to be treated. It's called the golden rule, right? Do unto others. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So treat others, again, to be a peacemaker. Treat people with kindness. Treat people with gentleness. Treat them with respect. When you forgive someone, um, go beyond it just being the words forgiveness. Don't then dwell on it. Don't store it away as a weapon to be used in the future. I remember in 1995, you did this to me. <laughs> Like, seriously, I did? You got a little logbook on me? When you forgive, don't dwell on it. Don't store it away as a weapon. Don't then go and tell others about it. I just want to tell you, I forgave Iris May. She gave me the complete brush off. You know, it's what I've noticed Iris May doing that a bit lately, just ignoring people, just not being a welcoming presence. I can say this to Iris May because she is the warmest person in our church when it comes to... 
introducing yourself, giving people hugs. But, you know, don't talk about it with other people. Let go of the desire to punish. You understand what I mean by that? You know, sometimes we hold something within our heart where we don't wish well of someone because of something they've done to us. When you forgive them, you also let go of that desire to punish and to see them punished. When conflict is handled well, it leads to peace. And peace in its fullest sense, this relationship with God that brings our salvation, but also a depth of relationship with others marked by love and submission, mutual love, mutual submission. I remember many years ago having an image spoken to me of God's kingdom. And the image was of God's kingdom as like this massive banquet table laden with the most amazing food and the choicest of wines. It's very biblical, right? Just this image of a massive banquet table. But then the person who talked about this said, but the cutlery we were given was such that we could not feed ourselves. We could only feed those across the table. And I think that has stayed with me as one of the most beautiful images of the kingdom of God, that we feast not to feed ourselves, but we feast to serve and to, to feast with others. When we live out the one another's as peacemakers, we not only live a better story, but we declare the nature of God's kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ to our world. I want to pray for us. i just love for us to pray. I want to lead us in prayer. And then as we finish, it may be we have people who are on prayer this morning. You just may want to come down. If you find yourself in a situation where you are in conflicted relationships or something like that, just come and receive prayer or, or pray with someone near you who you know and trust. But just allow me to do that. So, Father, we understand the theory, but we understand that it's so much harder in life. And that in the moments of conflict, that in the, in the emotions that come with relational breakdown or with feeling angry or with feeling really annoyed with people, that, Father, it's really hard sometimes to live in ways that are honouring to you, that are godly. And we also understand the frustration that sometimes our very best efforts lead to no resolution. And so, Father, I do want to pray for us that we would be a people that choose to live a better story and to choose to do all that we can as far as it is possible to live as people of peace, to be peacemakers, to actually live out these one another's of loving one another, forgiving one another, showing hospitality one another, serving one another, um, of just being humble in all of that, that we would do that uh, to the best that we can with the power of your Holy Spirit who brings about peace. But Father, this morning I also want to pray uh, for those who don't have peace in their own hearts, who, as they hear this this morning, are reminded of, and just the emotions are stirred up of, a broken relationship, a conflict that is unresolved, an annoyance that has just managed to grab hold of them, which can't be shaken, and the pain that can often come from the brokenness of those relationships. And Father, I want to pray your peace into that. There's this promise that you come and you give us your peace. And so, Father, we receive that. Father, we thank you that you have given us peace with you, that our salvation is assured, that our identity as your children cannot be taken away from us. We are brought into your family and you give us your peace. Our relationship with you is, is secure. Father, we thank you for that. But Father, also, I just want to pray. Um, that you would breathe your spirit and your life into those relationships around us, perhaps with family or with friends, where there is that lack of peace. And would you give us wisdom? Would you give us just the capacity to love and to forgive as we can?
And Father, above all, as we journey through this life, as we experience conflict, sometimes minor but sometimes major, Lord, may our first question be, how, how, can, I, how can I do something with this that will bring you glory? How can I step into this situation of conflict in such a way that it reflects the values of your kingdom? And Father, for that we do. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. And we just need that alpha and just the whisper of your Holy Spirit, the truth that comes from your word. So Father, for each one of us this morning, I just pray that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds, that we would indeed be peacemakers, that we would be called the children of God. Not the children of God as an identity sense, but which the children of God in the sense that we live out the values of your kingdom. So, Father, may we do this for your glory and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.